that note, I just want to segue, a great segue. So there, there's, a, there's a difference between having a mission and being on a mission. If you're a parent, you, you've seen this in action before. You give your kids a mission, go clean your room, and then you come back 30 to 45 minutes later, and they're sitting in front of the computer watching whatever or playing with their dolls. They've been given a mission, but they are not on a mission. And we want to be a church that just doesn't have a mission, but we want to be a church that is on mission. And we've got a mission as a church. Our mission is, it goes like this. Our mission is to create authentic Christian community. So that's to have loving, caring, life-giving, real, honest relationships. But not just for the sake of having relationships. It's creating authentic Christian community that effectively reaches out to unchurched people with love and acceptance and forgiveness so that they'll have two things, two things that are just way too good to keep to ourselves. We want the world around us to, to know the joy of salvation and a purposeful life of discipleship. This is our mission, and we, we don't just have a mission. We're on mission, and this mission keeps us from, from ever taking our foot off the gas pedal and going, okay, I like that person over there. I like my neighbor here, my neighbor back there. Let's just kind of settle in and just kind of be cozy and just do our thing that we, we do. Our mission keeps us focused. It keeps us having the heart of Jesus who, who didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. It keeps us looking out. This is this, is this mission that we're on. And, and we want to invite you to be, be a part of this mission. So the last um, few, few weeks here, we're in this series called I'm In. And this series is, is really about um, challenging you at, at some point. Well, throughout this series, you're going to be challenged to, to, not, to, to go from a place of being disengaged with this mission that we're on to, to being in, engaged, to going from a place of being on the outside, maybe just looking in, to going, okay, I, I'm in. I'm not just in as a follower of Jesus, but I'm in with this beautiful, messy thing called the church. And more specifically, the challenge is to say, I'm in with this church, Christ the King Community Church. And so what we're doing over this series and what we've done this last two weeks is we've looked at some, some different things that are involved with being in, different commitments. The first week we looked at what it's like to have a, a, a vibrant relationship with Jesus. This thing starts and ends with Jesus. In the last two weeks, we looked at the importance of just being a part of this deal that we have going on right now, this corporate worship gathering. And, and today, we're going to look at a third commitment that, that is involved with being, being a part of what's going on, being in. And uh, before we get into this third one, I just want to start off by saying, you know, after, after preparing this sermon this week, I got to tell you this, there is nobody I would rather be following than Jesus. Nobody. That you, you can search high and low all across this planet, every nook and corner, the heavens and the earth, you will never, ever find somebody like Jesus. Never. There's nobody I'd rather be following than Jesus. He's joy, he's life, he's good, he's for us. He doesn't hold back blessings, but he just, he wants to bless us abundantly. He wants us to have life to the full. He wants you and me to live a life of significance, and he loves us so, 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 so much. And there's a story that, that I want to read that tells so much about the heart of God, about the heart of Jesus. 
and what it looks like for us to walk in the way of Jesus, to live, to live life like, like he did. And this story is found in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20. And there's really, there's just four characters in this story. There's, there's James and John, two guys that are brothers. And then there's their mom. And then there's Jesus. And in this story, James uh, and John's mom approaches Jesus. And we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 20, verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 20. The Bible says this. It says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons, so this is James and John's dad, the mother of, of, Zeb, of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. This is a, a very bold and unusual request for, for this lady to be making. Basically what she's saying is she's saying, let my two boys have the most important places in your kingdom. And, and so what she's asking is, she, she, like everybody else in that day, she thought Jesus was coming to set up an earthly kingdom with palaces, with palace guards, with piles of riches and treasures and crowns and all that kind of stuff. And so she comes along and she's going, Jesus, simple request, I want my two boys to have the most prominent, important positions in your kingdom, one sitting at your right hand, the other sitting at your left hand. She's kind of like the soccer mom who's, who, who's going, okay, she's a little upset that her, her, her daughter's not on the starting lineup, so after the game, she approaches the coach and says, hey, do you think my daughter could maybe be on the starting lineup kind of thing? Or, or she's like the mom, not very happy with the teacher that, that they got the first week of school, and so after class, she goes to the principal and says, hey, can you put my little darling in this person's class? Okay, now, come on, moms, you know, some of you have done this, right? Some of you have done this. But that's what's going on here. She's going, I want my two boys, my two little darling sons, I want them to have the best positions. Jesus, do you think that you, you could work this out? To which Jesus responds, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. And, and, and it's interesting because he says this to them, so he lets us in on something here. It's not just the mom, it's actually the two boys. And then he says, can you drink the cup? I'm going to drink. We can, they answered. So we see here that this is not just this mom kind of like they're doing their thing and then the mom kind of pulls Jesus aside and says, hey, Jesus, can we have a little conversation here? And it's, it's not some kind of private conversation going on between Jesus and, and John the Baptist or, or James and John's mom. They're all three standing there. Mom and the two grown boys are having this conversation with Jesus. And uh, a couple things just stand out to me here. First, these guys are cowards. I don't throw that word around lightly because if you're a guy, you know that's the worst thing that a man can be called as a coward. But these guys are cowards. This is like if you're a guy here, it's like you want to have a raise at work. And so what you do is you call up your mom and you invite your mom. You have your mom go and ask your boss with you kind of hiding behind her if, if your boss will give you a raise. I mean, come on, that's kind of cowardly, but that's what these guys are doing. They send their mom in to do the dirty work. And the other thing is that, that these guys are just immature men. I've never had anyone be so blatantly selfish and power-hungry like these guys are being. Nobody has ever come up to me and said, hey, Rich, I, I want to be a leader here in this church because I want power, I want position, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want a prominent place here, whatever. Nobody's done that. But here's these disciples coming up to Jesus 
And that's exactly what they're asking. And get this. These cowardly, self-centered, immature men are going to be the guys that are the, 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 the leaders and the shapers in the early church. So if you're here and you have just disqualified yourself in the past from ever being involved in ministry, ever being involved in leadership, ever being involved in, 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 a, in a role of some sort within the church, you can just stop that because Jesus, I mean, if you're willing and you're saying, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, it appears that Jesus will pick about just, just about anybody. And so these guys, though they approach Jesus and they're, they got this question, and Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. He calls them out. He doesn't let them hide behind their mommy. Jesus, he, he knows what they're after, and he knows that they're, they're shamelessly demonstrating uh, a desire and a hunger for power and position. And when he says, you don't know what you're asking, they probably thought, well, actually, Jesus, we do know what we're asking. We just want to be great. We want to be great. You see, in their minds, they had a picture of what greatness looked like, and they had a picture of what the path to greatness looked like. And, and greatness to them is sitting in a royal palace beside a king who's wearing a crown. It's having everyone look at you, everyone admire you. It's being the most famous, the most popular. It's being the most well-liked person in all the land. It's having immeasurable wealth at your fingertips. It's power to do whatever you want. It's having uh, servants who will be at your beck and call. You want to have your back rub, you're calling your servant. You want to have your toes massaged, you're calling your servant. You want to have someone run down to the store and grab you a Slurpee or an ice cream cone, you're calling your servant, and they're going to run scampering off to take care of that for you. That's what these guys are thinking when they think of greatness. To them, if you wanted to be great, it looked like that. And if you wanted to attain that greatness, it meant climbing over people. It meant clawing your way to the top. It meant exerting power and control, being cold and uncaring, thinking only of yourself and whatever is necessary to get to the top, even if that means that you got to bring in the heavy hitters to make it happen, in this case, their mom. I kind of imagine this lady, she's like the lady, if, if her son is not playing varsity, her son's playing JV, she goes to the coach, and the coach even will get his own sons off of varsity so that her sons can move up to play varsity. That's this mom, you know what I'm saying? She gets whatever she wants. And so they, they have this request, and they've got this picture of greatness. It's holding the most prominent positions of power and influence, having all this stuff, and doing whatever it takes to get there. Does that not sound like the world's idea of greatness or what? But you don't have to read a whole lot of your Bible to dis discover that that's just not how God works. That's not God's idea of greatness. And Jesus says to them, you don't know what you're asking. You think you do, but you actually don't. And then he goes on to ask a simple, somewhat unusual question. He says, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Now, he's not talking here about his non-fat, no-whip, caramel macchiato, Okay. That's not the cup that, that he's referring to here. And by the way, Jesus drinks his coffee black with just a hint of cream to make it fun. Okay, just in case you're wondering. But he asks, are you able to drink my cup? And what he's asking them is, are you able to achieve greatness this, in the same way that I'm going to achieve it? Can you walk the path that I'm, I'm going to walk? And they enthusiastically chime in with the, yes, we can, no problem. We'll do it. And the Bible tells what happens next. It says, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant, 
These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard about this, so they catch wind on James and John conniving, uh, they become indignant with the two brothers. This little cat fight breaks out among the early church fathers. Uh, who's going to be the greatest? And they're bummed and they're ripped off because they never thought about bringing their mom in to ask Jesus. These guys did. And so they're, they're bickering back and forth and fighting because they all want to be important. They all want to have power. They all want to have the, the positions. And so Jesus, who, who sees what's going on, who's, who's, who, who's always about teaching and discipling and modeling his disciples, he pulls them together. He's protecting the unity. He pull, pulls these guys together. He's like, hey, guys, get in here, everybody. It's time to have a little family meeting. And, and here's what we, we read in the Bible. The Bible says Jesus called them together and said this. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their officials, their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And with just a couple of sentences, Jesus takes the world's idea of greatness and he completely flips it upside down. Not only that, he shows that the path to that greatness is drastically different than the, the world's idea and, and their, their, their path to greatness. And there's two important truths for us this morning that, that I, I, I want to highlight from this passage. Two important truths that if you just let these truths settle down deep into your soul, into your heart, to the point where they begin to transform you, it will forever change the way that you interact with people. If you're a student... These two truths, if you let these settle in, they will change the way that you interact with the other students in your high school, in your middle school, as you interact with them in, in the cafeterias, in the hallways, in the classways. These will forever change the way you interact with them. If you're a spouse, it will forever change the way that you interact with your spouse. Parents, the way you interact with your, your kids. Kids, the way you interact with your parents. If you're an employee, it will forever change the way that you work and interact with your fellow employees and employers. And these two truths, they have to do with Jesus' new definition of greatness and the path you need to take in order to get there. And the first truth is this. Greatness isn't being wealthy, powerful, or famous. It's being a servant to others. Think for a second about how drastically different that is than the world's idea of greatness. Be as wealthy as you can. Be as successful as you can. And one day, maybe you'll be famous. Jesus says, no. James and John, it's not about having these, these prominent positions at my right and my left. If you want to be great, be a servant. That is greatness. And the second truth is this. Greatness isn't attained by elevating yourself. It's attained as you deny yourself in order that you might serve others. You see, James and John and their mom they think like the world. Let's just trample over the rest of the disciples. Who cares about the other ten? Let's just go in there. Let's just, let's, we got to get in there. We got to assert ourselves. We got to make ourselves known. We got to push a little. We got to fight a little. We got to be out in the front. We got to let them see the greatness. We got to let them feel our greatness. And then one day, we're going to be great. And Jesus says, no, that's not how it works in my kingdom. 
you want to be great, you got to stop elevating yourself, and instead, you got to serve. you got to become a servant, and you got to start serving others. That is greatness, and that's also how you get to true greatness. You see, the temptation and the pull of, of our old sinful nature, our self, it's, it's to live life with me, I, at the center of this whole deal. So much so that even when it comes to our acts of service, we can sometimes find ourselves even serving others with me at the middle. This is the politician that, that, that serves others and is in a position of service so that they can, so they, they can have more power. Or it's a doctor that, that serves people so they can become rich. Or it's the pastor that serves people so they can get a, a big name and, and, and the praise of, of people. But with true servants, they, they don't serve for their own sake. They serve for the sake of others. They, they put the temptation aside to be, for it to be all about me, and they make it life about others. It's not about elevating themselves. It's about denying themselves so that they might do a better job of serving others. Their concern is more for the other person than it is even for themselves. And there are some people who just get this. And, and moms of newborns, you get this. Lisa, we hear your baby over here. You got a newborn. You get this. It's about, it is about pushing yourself aside at 3 o'clock in the morning when that baby wakes up and, and wants food. They want it now, and you just don't roll over in bed and, and, and have another four or five hours of sleep. No, you push yourself aside, your desire for a good night's rest, a good night's sleep, so that that baby can have their needs met. Um, there, there's, a, there's a picture that is etched in my mind from 15 years ago, and uh, maybe you've seen this photo. It's, it's one of the more iconic photos of 9-11, and a, it, it's, it's etched in my mind. Like it's, I don't even have to look at it. I know exactly the look on, on this man's face and what's going on. It's just etched there in my mind. And this uh, firefighter, his name is Mike Kehoe, and what he's doing here is he's climbing up the stairwell of Tower 2. He's pushing himself aside, his needs, his wants, and he's heading up into this raging inferno that he might rescue and save some people. And Mike Kehoe was actually one of the, he was one of the fortunate ones that made it out that day alive. And what happened is he, as he was climbing up, he got to the 28th floor. And as he's on the 28th floor, all of a sudden he hears this massive this is how he described it. He heard this massive explosion take place, followed quickly by um, his lieutenant giving the, the order over the radio, you get, get your guys out of there as quickly as you possibly can. So he scurries down the, the, the 28 floors, makes it to the bottom in, in two minutes, and 30 seconds after he gets out of, of the building, the whole thing collapsed, the entire thing. And he made it out, but he pushed himself aside. And, and, and that day, you've all heard the line about how wh when it comes to, to firefighters, first responders, everybody else is rushing out while they rush in. And that day, 343 New York Fire Department firefighters lost their lives. They, they pushed themselves aside. They, they went in and they served others. They just understood, well, that's just what you do. You, you serve, you, you, you sacrifice they didn't know that they were going to be sacrificing their lives that day, but they, they put, put themselves aside. And then there's, of course, Jesus. Jesus is the, 
He is the supreme example for us of what a life of service looks like. Jesus had everything. I mean, he's got, he's got, he's sitting there in heaven. He's got all authority, all power. He's got riches, everything in heaven. It's all there. And what does he do? He's got everything that the world would say is greatness. And he goes, no, that's not greatness. He's actually going to go and show us what true greatness is. He, he pushes all that aside, and he steps down into earth. He, he clothes himself in humanity, and he serves. He serves us. He gives of himself. And, and like all great servant leaders do, he uses his power and strength, not for his own sake, but for the sake of others. And, and what did he, he receive from all that? The Bible says that, this, that he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom men or from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God. We just completely misunderstood what this whole thing was about, what he was doing. We considered him stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus faced all of that. He, he, he faced the pain, the, the ridicule, the suffering, the misunderstanding. And, and what did he get from it? That's what he got. And, but what did we get from it? We got freedom. We received healing. We received peace. Jesus denied himself so that he might serve others. And when Jesus was speaking about why he had come to earth, he said this. He said, um, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me. He's talking about his father. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. He demonstrates for us the heart of a servant. There's nothing in there about what he's going to get out of this deal. He's, he's, he came for the oppressed. He came for the blind. He came for the, those that were in captivity. He is the picture of what a servant looks like. And he models for us what the path to true greatness, kingdom greatness looks like, and that is to serve others. It's to serve. It's to give of ourselves. If you want to know what true greatness looks like, you don't need to look any further than Jesus. He is the model of what a servant is, and he is the model of what it, what it looks like to serve. As we wrap up this morning, I just want to point out a few things about serving. And the first thing is this. Servanthood is what Christ-like love looks like. If you've ever wondered, okay, what does it look like to love like Jesus? You look at his life. Serving is loving. It's, it goes together. When you look at Jesus, it, Jesus gave of himself. God in the flesh, God who is love, he can't help but serve. He can't help it. It's who he is. God is love. And because he is love, he just can't help but serve. Jesus explained it like this. He said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life's life for one's friends. You lay it down in service to others. That's love. That's love. And, and, and serving is what love looks like. Next thing is this. You were created to serve. So God is love, the Bible says. And, and how does that love look? It looks like service, serving. And the Bible says this. It says God created mankind. He created you and me in his own image. 
Since love is primarily expressed through serving, and we are created in the image of the God who is love, this means that at the core of our being, in the depths of our DNA, you and me were created to serve. We were created for it. This isn't just some nice thing that hopefully we get around to. We were created to serve. How else do you explain the joy that comes when you really start to serve and give of yourself? There's a joy that comes when you do that. And it's because you're in your sweet spot. You are doing what, what Christ created you for, what he created you to do. And that's, that's, that's to serve. And so the question is this. Okay, I want to I serve. I want to be great like Jesus was great. I want to be a great servant. And I want to do that by serving, but it's so hard. I don't, I don't feel like it. It's just a constant battle. So, so what do I do? I want to serve. What, what, what do I do? Do I just wait around until I start to feel like it and I get the right heart? I don't think that's how it works. If you don't have the heart of a servant, one of the best ways to get one is to begin serving. Don't wait. I, I, I don't know about you, but I find that that. When I begin to serve is when I start to really get the heart of a servant. I don't think the way it works is that you just wait around until one day you wake up one morning and all of a sudden, voila, you just want to go out there and just start to serve everybody. I don't think it works that way. You just, you, you realize that, that serving is what Christ calls us to and creates us for. And you go, okay, I'm just going to start serving. There's a reason why all throughout the Bible we're commanded to serve. And the command isn't preceded by the phrase, when you feel like it. The Bible just says serve. Jesus says serve. Lay down your life for one another. And I'm going to give you this morning three places where everybody in this room, where we, uh, we, I believe we are called to serve. Three places. And the first place is home. It starts in your home. If you're, if you're married, how can you begin serving your spouse? Husbands, how can you be serving your wife? Well, what does that look like? And if you don't know your wife, we'll give you some pretty good ways to begin doing that, okay? Just ask. Uh, wives, how can you be serving your husbands? What can you do to just be um, coming alongside of them and encouraging them, strengthening them? What does that look like? Parents, are your kids just some, like they, they take along on this journey of life with you? Or are you serving them? Are you laying down your, your, your life for them? How can you begin doing that? Pray, Jesus, show me. How can I serve my kids better? Kids, what does it look like to serve your parents? Again, your parents will give you lots of ways that you can begin to serve. It might start with dishes. It might start with vacuuming. I don't know. But, but how can you serve? And when you serve, when you do that with the right heart, with the right attitude, there's just such a joy in that. But it's, it starts at home. It starts at home. And the next place that, that we all need to be serving is in our church family. So if, if, if you're a part of this church, if you consider this your church family, you need to be looking for ways that you can be serving. The Bible is so clear on this that, that church, is, it's not a, it, church is not like a, a, a superstar sport. You know, this isn't the, the Cleveland Cavaliers and you got LeBron James making the whole thing happen. That's not, church is a team sport. It's everybody on the field in this together. It's not a deal where you got a, a bunch of spectators watching the game. No, church is a team sport. And the Bible says you can read about it in, from 1 Corinthians 12 right through the 14. Everybody has been given a gift 
that God has given you to strengthen this body and also to use within this church as we are on mission to reach the world around us with the good news, the gospel about, about our God who saves, who came to set people free. You have a gift to be used. How are you using that? How are you using that within this church? If you don't know what that is, there's, there's, let me just tell you how it works here in our church. Because I, I know a lot of you, a lot of people have been burnt by churches when it comes to service. Maybe you, you got into a, a, a position and next thing you know, 20 years has gone by and nobody took even a second to say, hey, thanks for serving. Or maybe you, you got into something, you, could just, you never were able to get out, or you were man- manipulated, or you had your arm twisted to do something, and you just, that's not how it works around here, okay? It's not what, that's not how it works. We, we will never be the church, we, we will not be the church that goes, okay, we need three, we got three spots over here, and the, the, as soon as we can find some warm bodies, we're going to get them in the, those three spots and make it happen. That's not us. In fact, we believe so strongly in helping you. This isn't about us. It's about us helping you and us, us serving you and coming alongside of you and helping you find, you find your spot within the church that if you express interest, our first, the thing that we're going to start off with is we're going to have a conversation with you. We are going to, we're going to sit down with you. We're, going to, we're just going to take a, a, a several minutes to talk about who, find out a little bit about who you are, what your passions are, your gifts, so that we can help you find a place that, that fits who you are, that fits your passions and your giftings. And maybe the conversation, at the end of it, we go, okay, you, there's, a, there's an area that God's calling you to within this church that we don't even have yet. Let's figure out how to get that, that, that started. But that's, that's how it works around here. And I would encourage you, begin to look and find out what you're what, what, the, what the place is for you here in this church. There's so many ways for you to be involved. This is not a spectator deal. Church, I'm going to say it one more time. Church is a team sport. It is everybody on the field moving towards this mission, making this mission that I talked about earlier on, making this mission happen. So there's serving at home. We all need to be serving at home. There's serving in our church. We all need to be serving in our church. And the third thing is this, we need to be serving in the world around us. And I don't know what your world looks like. Um, yesterday, some of your world was, uh, you're going, I don't know exactly what my world was on a Saturday. It was soccer. I was on the soccer field. I was, I was on the side of the soccer field for five or six hours while my kids went from this field to this field to this field. That's your world. How can you be serving in your world? Maybe for you, you just show up at the soccer game and, and you typically just stand there with your hands in your pocket and you just, you just watch, you take your kid and you go home and that's it. Well, someone who's, take, who's taking on the heart and the posture of a servant goes, okay, I'm going to look for ways that I can serve in my world. So there's a spot on the snack schedule. I'm going to jump in and I'm going to make that happen and I'm just, just not going to bring snacks. I'm going to bring the most awesome snacks. I'm going to kick butt on all the other moms with the snack that I bring. <laughs> you do that. You know what I'm saying? If you're a student, your world is your high school, your world is your middle school. Don't just go to your school and be a consumer and just listen to what, all the stuff that's coming at you, which you need to be doing, by the way. But how can you serve in your school? Maybe it's, it's showing up tomorrow at your, at your school and looking for that kid who needs to be encouraged. Maybe it's, maybe it's 
saying, going to your teacher and saying, hey, how can I help in my class? I can guarantee you your teacher's jaw is going to drop to the ground as you ask that. But how can you be serving in your world? You know, we got people in our church that serve in the food bank in, in Ferndale and some, some in other food banks around the county. That's, that is serving in your world. It, uh, you, some of you are volunteer fire to, fire to, uh, firefighters. That's serving, that's serving in your world. But how can you be serving in your home? How can you be serving in your, in your church? And how can you be serving in your world? God calls us as followers of him to, to live li- lives of service, to be laying down our lives, to be serving others. And, and you want to be great? Do you want to be great? The Bible says be a servant. Be a servant. Be a servant. And the way to get there is by serving, laying down your lives for others. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, you've given us such a great example of what serving looks like. And Jesus, if we are honest this morning, we would have to say that we are so far away from, where, uh, from being like you in this area. Jesus, I pray that you would come and help us, come change us, God, our hearts that are so pulled to, 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 to just making ourselves the center of our marriages, the center of our families, the center of our, our classrooms, our schools, our workplaces, our church, whatever it might be. God, I pray that you would come and change our hearts, Jesus, so that, Lord, we become people that are about others, where we, where we joyfully and gladly deny ourselves for the sake of serving others and and giving our lives for the sake of others. And Father, we just want to tell you that we need your help. We need your help. And Lord, I pray that you would do that. I pray, Jesus, that that this day would mark a new beginning for marriages. It would mark a new new beginning for, for parents, Lord, who have just seen their kids in the wrong light. They have not seen their role in the wrong, in the right light either. God, may they, from this day forward, see their role with their kids as they're actually the ones there to serve their kids. Jesus, I pray that, that you would help uh, parents. God, I pray for kids that they would see um, their, their role in their families and in their classrooms, Jesus, in a whole new light. God, may they walk through the, the, the hallways tomorrow and just interact with their other students as servants. Help Help, help, I pray, Jesus. And Father, I pray for for this church. Lord, you've given us a mission. You've given us a great mission to go and make disciples of all nations. And Jesus, you want us to lay our lives aside to make this happen. Father, help us to do that, I pray. And as we do, Jesus, as we take on the mantle of a servant, and Jesus, we allow you to come and shape our hearts, I pray, Jesus, that, that Jesus, at the end of the day, that, Lord, lives would be, would be drawn to you, that broken people would be, would be made whole, that the oppressed would be set free, that, Jesus, there would be healing that would come to broken hearts and lives, and that, Jesus, your name would be lifted high. Father, I pray all this in your name, Jesus. And if you could just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a couple more minutes, I just want to extend an invitation. If you're here this morning and you're going, I want to follow that Jesus. I have never put my faith and trust in Jesus, but today I'm, I'm doing it. Today I'm making a change. I'm turning from my way and I'm turning to his way. 
If that's you this morning, while all the heads are bowed and eyes closed, I would love to pray for you. If that's you, could you just be bold enough to put your hand up nice and high? Anybody here? You're going, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. Awesome. So, Jesus, I pray for this person. I pray, Lord, that, Father, this day would be a day that is forever etched in their memory as the day, Jesus, that they determined in their heart that, Jesus, they were going to put their faith and trust in you and follow you. Lord, I pray that you would equip them, that, Jesus, you would bring people around them to strengthen them, to encourage them, to help them on this journey. God, may we as a church uh, just come around them as their church family, Jesus, and support them and encourage them and and teach them what it means to be a follower of you. And Father, I, I pray for the rest of us that Jesus, you would be glorified in our lives this week and that Jesus, you would be lifted high in us. In your name I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. All right, all right.